Welcome to a special takeover edition of The Inner Loop Radio. I'm Abby Newhouse, The Inner Loop's Authors Corner Program Manager. I'll be your host today, and I'm here to talk about the little ways I keep writing. A few weekends ago, I was out with some friends from my MFA program. We all graduated in 2020, right as the pandemic started, all of us thrown into a rapidly shifting writing world. One of my friends there turned to me and said, did you know out of all of us, you're the only one living the writer life? I hadn't thought about it that way, but I took stock. There I was, a freelance writer and podcast producer, feeling both underwater and alive at the same time. At the end of 2022, I had secured a full-time editing job, but as soon as it started, I knew it was wrong. I wasn't writing. I wasn't inspired. I was sitting, waiting for emails, hoping and not hoping all at once that someone would give me something to do. I quit after three months, two various reactions from peers. But after creating my own podcast that year called We're Here, I had started editing audio for other podcasts on the side, and I wanted to see what I could do with it. So I jumped. And underneath it all, I told myself this move was to create writing time for myself. My plan was to have at least one day a week I could dedicate to my writing, while the other days were dedicated to all the chaos of the freelance life. I don't mean for this to sound like a roadmap or unsolicited advice, but I do want to say that it worked. For a while. After so long, hearing other people's voices in my head day in and day out, editing other people's writing, and telling other people's stories, I kind of forgot my own voice. I started repeating other people's opinions as my own, started telling their stories to relate to the people around me. I'm still in the thick of it, but I'm learning the balance. I have to create moments of calm, peace, me alone with my thoughts, as terrifying as that sounds now. Instead of listening to podcasts on walks, or even music at this point, I just let myself think. In my best writing days, I used to be able to look around and create stories while out and about. Catching glimpses of people through their lit up windows in the dark. Watching a dog lay down, refusing to cross the street. Looking up at the way the ginkgo leaves create patterns with the sky as their backdrop. Considering my own place in a city not many people can call their own. I hold my own story as I walk. Whatever essay I'm working on at the time, and I let the world give me answers. It's the world and it's me. We all inform each other, and I'm searching for that symbiosis. I'm starting to feel it again, and now I have to translate it to the page. Lately, I've been writing about sugar. I grew up in Utah, where our pick-me-ups are 44-ounce drinks of dirty Dr. Pepper. The soda is mixed with coconut syrup and lime. And huge oversweet cookies. I grew up on platitudes, too. Thought-terminating cliches that ask me to forget all doubts and only notice the good in my life. And so I'm working on meshing the two, making the food symbolic of the cloy of my culture. I think we all have something like this wherever we're from. 
And with all the food traditions coming up this time of year, I thought it would be the perfect prompt for you. Try and pick a dessert, a dish, anything that represents your family or culture in new and surprising ways, and see how you can make the metaphor shine. Here's a bit of my essay on sugar. At Christmas a few years ago, my brother-in-law gave me the big book of amazing cakes, filled with recipes from contestants on the Great British Baking Show. I was thrilled. The show had been invaluable in my baking journey, showcasing new flavors and culinary history that had me devouring every episode. My brother-in-law's birthday was the day after Christmas, so my two sisters and mother helped me choose a chocolate roulade from the book, and we set to work whisking and folding and mixing. As I whipped the heavy cream, my mother paused. Is it just heavy cream? She asked. We all stared down at the recipe's five meager ingredients. We were used to making whipped cream with added sugar, the American way, the Mormon way, the way of my family. I continued whisking, advocating that we follow the recipe even as my mother warned that the cake might not taste how my brother-in-law pictured. We spread the thin chocolate sponge with the whipped cream and rolled the roulade into a log, dusted it with powdered sugar, and called everyone down for dessert. My brother-in-law was kind, but obviously disappointed. The cream tasted like nothing to our American palates. My sister wandered through the pantry until she found a bag of Christmas-themed Reese's peanut butter cups, and knowing that peanut butter chocolate was her husband's favorite flavor, suggested we add them to the cake. We unrolled the roulade and sprinkled the candy throughout the cream. Though it seemed almost blasphemous to alter a British classic, I tried to be chill while everyone agreed the cake was a million times better. I was careful with the cream, rolling its subtle flavor around my mouth, wondering, even though I wanted to be above it, in what world it would be satisfying. I looked around at the gifts from neighbors, the pumpkin chocolate chip bread, the sugar cookies decorated like little Christmas trees, the delicate sugar ribbons in jewel tone colors. In my Mormon world, everything was sweet. Our stories, our attitude, our gospel. We ended tales of hardship with platitudes meant to placate. We kept ourselves cheery and helpful because it felt good, yes, but also because it kept us busy enough to ignore our doubts. We kept even our debates on the limits of the religion sweet. Sugary smiles covered our condemnation, our judgment, our gentle admonitions. My grandma held my hand while I told her I wasn't going to church anymore. I'm just so sad for you, she said, so sad that you choose to miss out on all the blessings church offers you. Part of me wanted to be able to go outside and roll a snowball, hold it to my mouth, and taste sugar. I wanted to shave chocolate bark off the trees. What a world it could be if the sweetness was real. I've worked through this essay a million times. I have a hard time knowing when to be done with my writing, same as a lot of writers, I think. But what's helped me lately is remembering my own strengths as a writer. Research is not my forte, whereas I enjoy a narrative, a story people can relate to even if the culture is so foreign. So instead of trying to fit myself into the box that genre offers, like, I'm writing nonfiction, so shouldn't there be research, more analysis, etc., I'm focusing on what makes me work as a nonfiction writer. Easier said than done, of course. Remembering my voice and then writing with it? It's a process and it always will be. But it's there. I know it is. I just have to give myself a moment to hear it. 
And that's it for today's show. You can find me on Instagram at Abby Newhouse, A-B-I Newhouse, like it sounds. You can listen to my podcast I mentioned earlier called We're Here, anywhere you get podcasts. The Interloop Radio will be back next Monday with a new episode. Remember to subscribe so you can get inspired, get focused, and get lit. I'm Abby Newhouse for the Interloop Radio. 